Good evening. We are glad you're here this evening. As has already been said, we do have several visitors in our midst, and we're thankful for your presence this evening. I will just remind you, and certainly to our members, uh, we have our fruit baskets ready to be prepared here in the fellowship hall after our services. Again, we'd love for you to stay as we have some finger foods prepared. But at the same time, if you have to leave, and we understand, but if you would, please stay to long enough to help us prepare those and maybe sign up to take a couple with you. We'd like for those to be delivered, obviously, with fruit within the next few days or a week or so uh, so that they can get delivered to some of those. We've got cards uh, that will be put with those and all, but I'd like for everyone to chip in, not only to to put them together because that'll take 10 minutes maybe tops, but uh, to take them and deliver them to some of these folks, our sick and our shut-ins, some of our widows and widowers, and we want to take a moment to try to encourage them with just a note and something from this congregation during this time of year. But again, we're thankful you're here for our worship service this evening as well. We've been in the middle of a series of lessons on and off for the last few months or so, and we've been talking about the concept or the idea that oftentimes we watch our favorite movie or we watch our favorite show and a lot of times especially with ones that we've seen before our favorite movie or our favorite show that we've kind of watched time and time again as it gets started and you get into the middle of it and you watch all your your favorite parts maybe and you recall what happens and you really just enjoy yourself in watching that you come to the end of it and a lot of times we get up and leave and we leave the movie theater or maybe we turn the channel and we just go ahead and move on to the next thing. Maybe that's involved in our day. And we don't pay attention to the thing that comes after the end because there is something after the end. And that, of course, for many of us is the closing credits of a movie. That's become the, the main thing. Some of you may recall a time when there were no closing credits. All the credits were before the beginning. Every once in a while we pop in one of those old Disney movies for my kids and the music cues up and then here comes all these names. They're like, wait a minute, the movie's supposed to have already started. But no, there were many a movie where you had to sit for five minutes or so and get through the opening credits to see who all was involved with the making of that movie. We've been going through this series of lessons thinking about people maybe who get lost in the credits. And we said it's certainly possible. And I think the very first day that we did one of these lessons, we mentioned the fact that, you know, there are 15 to 18 minute credits in some movies now and several five, six, eight thousand names involved in some of the credits in these major productions that are done today. So it is obviously possible that someone might say, you know, nobody's going to notice whether I'm in there or not. And it's certainly possible to be lost in the credits. You know, there was a, a teacher uh, one of the professors at Free Hardeman who was even involved uh, in the movie Walking Tall, the original Walking Tall, some of you may remember, uh, filmed in that area where Buford Puster was from and around Selmer, Tennessee. And one of the professors actually had a, a, a small, 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 small role in that movie standing to the side. I don't even know if her name was in the credits or not. But that's the way, of course, a lot of folks are involved. They get involved, but they feel like they carry a very small role. In the same regard, when we think about sports teams and sports figures, how many hundreds of thousands of people have played baseball over the years? How many hundreds of thousands of people have played football over the years? And yet, there are only a select few who make it into that hall of fame. And so often we read things like Hebrews 11 and we think about Moses and others having an S on their chest like Superman or Batman of some sort. And we, we look at them and we think, I could never be that. But through this series of lessons and talking about people who were lost in the credits, we've tried to make the point that there are many people, even in the Bible, who are ordinary, but made extraordinary by God. People like you, and people like me, people like us, that we would feel like day in and day out, we don't make much of a difference. 
We don't really do a lot. No one knows our name. We would die. Maybe our congregation would have our funeral, but it, but it wouldn't be a big deal. But yet at the same time, we can look through the Bible, just as we think about movies and closing credits, and see there are many people that we may not even know their name. I did a lesson, you may recall, early on when we first started here about the youngest missionary, that, that young girl who told Naaman what he needed to do or where he could find his answer. We don't even know her name, but she plays a role. And others, such as people that we have talked about in this series of lessons, who we know their name, but maybe there's one verse or two about them, and that's it. But we learn something that we can take encouragement from. Tonight we're going to talk about someone, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you've got your outline in front of you, maybe from the bulletin, and you're taking notes, you can write down this name that I can promise you I'm going to say eight different ways before this lesson is over, okay? Let's just go ahead and get that out there. I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it once, and I'm going to say it a different way before it's all said and done. Uh, but we're going to talk about Onesiphorus. That's the first try there. The first passage that we read about this uh, man is in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18. And Paul writing to Timothy says, This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord gives mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Now there's another passage we're going to come back to in just a few moments where this man is mentioned. But this is the first one here where we learn his name and we don't learn a whole lot else. But is it possible, even with just a little bit, that we can learn something from him and maybe make application for ourselves tonight? We begin by asking the question, have you ever felt alone? Like really alone? Uh, maybe it's a time when you were sick. You know, th th there may be no lonelier time than when you're in the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning and you're sick. And you know, there may be people in the house, but they're snoring away, and you feel like you're just all alone. You'd rather roll over into the tub and just die than have to go through being sick anymore. Maybe it's some time like that. Maybe it's a time you can think back to when you were little and you got lost in a department store. Do any of you recall being in that type of situation? I don't remember a whole lot about my childhood, maybe, but I do recall one time that I got lost and, you know, turn around and there's nobody you know and you feel very alone for a few moments until you find the person that you came with, your mom or grandparents or whoever. But it's possible that we have felt alone from time to time. And it's also possible that there are many people, even those who are strong natured, those who are strong-willed, even people in the Bible that we wouldn't consider that might be alone but might have felt lonely before. David did. We would think, see David, and again, we think hero of the faith, hall of fame of the faithful. David would never be alone. But in Psalm chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, David says, and maybe it's something that we connect with a little more. He says, help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. They speak vanity before, or they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. You see, maybe we connect with this a little bit more because David's not saying I'm alone and that there's no people around me. I would, I would submit that David had people around him probably all the time. He may have wanted a little bit of alone time every once in a while, but David had people around him. But the way he writes in Psalm chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 is he was lacking for good people. The faithful fail, the godly man ceases. Even David, as great as he was, as many good things as he did, felt alone. And again, it's not in the sense of the number of people, 
But it is in the sense that there were not other good people around. We think about other examples, such as 1 Kings chapter 19, which is an interesting example because it comes on the heels of chapter 18. If you recall chapter 18, we talk about Elijah. Chapter 19 comes after this great, great victory. When we think about Elijah being alone, we're not talking about the battle, the contest that took place on Mount Carmel there. He was alone because it was 450 against one. But that's not what we're talking about because he won that victory. God was on his side and after the victory is won and the sacrifice is devoured there by the flames and the water is lapped up, they kill those 450 prophets of Baal, those prophets of Jezebel. But of course the story continues on and and Ahab has to go home to Jezebel and he says, well Jezebel, there's 450 of your favorite preachers that are no more anymore. And so, of course, she says Elijah will be no more either in the time of a day. He'll be gone as well. He'll be as dead as they are. And so Elijah flees. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, he gets into the woe is me and alone is me type of mentality. Again, one, an individual in number, but even as well, feeling alone. Remember Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It is not good that man should be Alone, Of course, the idea that here is Adam and he needs that help me. And of course, for all of us guys who are going to be honest about it, we all need a good help me. It's not good that man should be alone. The cow is not going to do any good. Anything else that we want to put forth from any of the animals that were made is not going to help the way that the woman would be a help me unto the man. He says it is not good that man should be alone. Think about Mark chapter 6 and verse 7 as well. Even Jesus knew to send the apostles out two by two. I mean, couldn't they get more done if they went out by one, right? We could send all of them in separate ways, one at a time, and cover more area. But no, there's a pattern here. There's an idea. It's not good that we should be alone sometimes. There is comfort in two by two. And of course, Jesus knew that as he sent them out. And of course, even from our example a moment ago, Is he really the Lone Ranger? Because he's got Tonto with him, right, as well. We think about even the silly example that we could pull from movies or TV shows or whatever. There's this idea that being alone is not always helpful. It's not always good. But there is possibly a time that you have felt alone before, as some of these folks have done from the Bible. You see, I think as you look at your outline there, it's important for us to note that we need each other. Now, we spent a whole sermon on this last Sunday morning. We spent 30 minutes or so talking about it and trying to to drive home this point that we need each other. We need to be good at giving, but we need to be good at receiving as well. And we do need each other to make it through this difficult life. Some days are better than others. Some days are worse than others. But we need each other. We think about the Apostle Paul. He went through so many different things. And we don't even just think about the radical change in his life, but we think about uh, the good and the bad, the times that he was successful, the times that he was struggling. We've already looked at chapter 1 and verses 15 through 18 there, but when we look at the other passage where this man, for our lesson, is being discussed tonight, we see this idea of, of Paul. You know, Paul knew he had God, didn't he? I mean, he says it in many different passages we don't have time to look at tonight, but he knew that he had God on his side. But I think even Apostle Paul knew that he needed man. He needed companionship. He could do it on his own for a while. But you think about all that he struggled with. And he knew that at times he was probably lonely and would need some help. We mentioned the second passage that was listed on the screen there. 2 Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse number 19. Salute Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. 
Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus have I left at Miletum sick. We go over to verse number 21. Do thy diligence to come before winter. As he's writing to Timothy here, Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudium, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit, and grace be with you. Amen. When we think about this idea of needing each other, Paul, you know, is probably from time to time going to feel that, that way. But we see not only from chapter 1, but even as well from chapter 4. And of course, the, the more detailed passage talking about this man was given a moment ago when we began in chapter 1. But we can see from at least a couple of mentions here in this letter to Timothy that Paul had Onesiphorus with him, or at least as an encouragement to him. Maybe not with him every step of the way, obviously, but he had some encouragement. We saw in chapter 1 that he often went to Paul. That's the words of the Apostle Paul there again as he talks about this. He often refreshed me, he said in chapter 1. We notice as well from the passage that he was not ashamed. This Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul. Now think about it. Paul was a prisoner. He was a prisoner. And so it might be that, that someone like Onesiphorus or others could say, I think I'm just going to stay away. I know that you're doing good things. I know what you're preaching, but I think I'm just going to kind of hang back and stay away for a little while. But he was not ashamed. In fact, again, in this particular section, he sought Paul out. Paul says, he found me and sought me out very zealously. Again, this is the New King James in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 17 there. And you know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I don't think that Onesiphorus could just quite pull up the public service database on his phone there and find Paul. More than likely, if he went to Rome and wanted to find Paul, he was going to have to do some work. He had, was going to have to seek him out in order to encourage them because of the way that he was being in chains. How was he going to find him? It was going to take a little bit of effort. But again, from just this short section of Scripture, maybe we can see it's possible that this man was willing to go to those steps, to go that far to find Paul and to encourage him. If we were to choose one word to describe him, and tonight one word that we could learn from, what would we choose? I would submit to you tonight that maybe one of the best words that we could think of and what really wants to be the thrust of the last few minutes of our lesson here together is that Onesiphorus was loyal. He was loyal. Now that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Of course, back in the time of wars, we think about the Civil War or even the Revolutionary War, there were those who were loyal to a certain cause. And today, it's, there's sometimes similar things about being loyal to your country. Again, I, I mentioned to you a lot, I'm a, a bit of a sports fan, so for many of us, sometimes our, our favorite player maybe is loyal or not loyal to our team, especially in professional sports. Someone goes on to where there's more money or a more opportunity to play, and they leave the team they've been with for forever. And so we think of this idea of loyalty. But there are some other synonyms, if you will, that, that we could think of as well, maybe to kind of think about this idea a little bit more. Onesiphorus was trustworthy, probably as well, when it came to Paul. Paul would say that, you know, would probably think about him that he was reliable, maybe even that he was dependable. You know, what, what does that say about someone when they say, I can depend on you? I can depend on you to be there when you say you're going to be there. I can depend on you if you say you're going to accomplish this task that you're going to get it done. And you know, oftentimes we sing that song. Can he depend on you? Of course, trying to ask the question of ourselves very seriously and trying to consider, are we dependable? But maybe the word that best sums up all of these things is, is faithful. 
If we were to take all these words and try to bring them together, we might say that Onesiphorus was also or was faithful. And you say, well, faithful, that, that kind of gets into the idea of spiritual. And we say faithful, we're faithful to God. God is faithful to us. And that's true. But when we think about faithful as well, of course, a spouse should be faithful to their spouse. A husband should be faithful to his wife. It's spiritual, but it would go into the physical context or the earthly context as well. And I think we can see from this passage, and when we make application for ourselves, that Onesiphorus was probably not perfect, but he was loyal. He was faithful. And when we think about something that we can learn from someone that we just have this much maybe in our Bible about them, I think we can see through Paul's glowing words, if you will, that loyalty, faithfulness is important. Not just to God, but even man to man, even Christian to Christian, that we would be faithful to each other and loyal to each other. When we think about loyalty in our own lives, is it possible that we are the recipients of loyalty or that we give loyalty to others? Are there other people that we can depend on or are there other people that can depend on us. You see, sometimes there, there's blood involved with that. And, you know, we think about our parents, we think about our kids, and sometimes blood is involved with that, and, and blood is very serious, and that causes a bit of loyalty. But what about our spouses, or, or what about our friends? Can we depend on any of them? Are they loyal to us? Or again, we maybe can't answer that question, or we can't make someone change, but we can think about whether those folks can depend on us. Whether we can give loyalty or show loyalty is probably the better way to say it, more correct way to say it. Do we show loyalty to others? Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 10, the Hebrew writer who many of course believe to be the Apostle Paul says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You see, the problem, of course, here, as we know, thinking about the book of Hebrews in context, was that these folks, folks faced a problem with Judaism or going back to Judaism. They faced this problem in regards to their family members, those that would put pressure on them and try to get them to come back to Judaism and pushing them to do so. But as the Hebrew writer says here, God is faithful. God is loyal. And He's not going to forget the things which have been done, the things that we have done toward his name, as it is said here. When we think about this idea of being loyal, and again, we think about our society today, loyalty is oftentimes a forgotten virtue. You know, loyalty sometimes only lasts until, of course, there's more money or more power or something better that comes along. And then we say, well, we had a good run, but maybe it's time that we split up. And that's sometimes, of course, a way of just saying simply that I'm not going to be loyal to you or to your cause or to whatever it is anymore. I think we need to think seriously about the loyalty of Onesiphorus, not only from his, him, but especially as we think about ourselves. When we think about this loyalty that we read about here, it's certainly the kind that we need to have. You know, we think about those who might speak at our funeral, those who might say something good about us and encourage us. What about the Apostle Paul? If you are going to live during that time and you are going to, to die, would the Apostle Paul be willing to write these glowing words about you? Or would he you know, not claim to know you? Who would it be that could say that the nicest thing about you, the best thing about you? I think the fact that this is mentioned here, not only in chapter 1, but again in chapter 4, says that Onesiphorus was making an impact with the loyalty that he was showing to the Apostle Paul, it was the kind that we need to emulate in our lives, the kind that we need to have. 
Of course, at the same time, when we think about this loyalty, we don't need to allow inconvenience to keep us from loyalty. And we think, well, again, my parents, my siblings, my fellow church members, fellow Christians, you know, there's nothing that'll get in the way until something gets in the way and all of a sudden we have a problem. We see sin enter and we have problems in our relationships. It happens. Many of you know that it happens more often than we would like to think. I had the blessing and the honor and, of course, the challenge as well. The first year after we graduated from Freed Hardeman, I was a youth minister in the Florence, Alabama area. And I, we still love the Florence, Alabama area, so I have family there. But it was a challenge. It was interesting because of the 80 to 100 some odd congregations that are in that area. And it was very sad at the same time as you would see folks sometimes maybe say, well, you know what? I think I've got a better opportunity over here. And they might pass by not only that same congregation, but three others to get to the one that, that best fit their needs at that time. Now, I'm not here to speak on every single situation. And, and there were folks that might leave for, for various number of reasons. I, I can't say to every single one. But, you know, it was interesting to find out about loyalty sometimes. And sometimes because of the inconvenience to us, we begin to kind of change and shift how loyal we are to certain things. Now that's good when it comes to things that are in the news or things that maybe we find out about someone or something. But other times we need to be loyal. Certainly, of course, to Jesus Christ and to God as well. And tonight, I would encourage you to think about as Maybe you jot this down in your outline there. But loyalty demands more than good intentions. It demands more than good intentions. Of course, that's what we say, right? That people say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Well, unfortunately, that's the case for many of us. Sometimes we live our life in such a way we've got good intentions. But if we're going to be loyal, and certainly loyal to the cause of Christ, to God the Father, it's going to demand more than just good intentions. We think about Matthew chapter 25 and verses 34 through 40. This is where Jesus discusses this idea. We might say where the rubber meets the road. This idea of loyalty demanding more than good intentions is the point of Matthew 25, 34 through 40. When he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he says those goats would be those that would fail to do what they could do. When he was hungry, when he was thirsty, a stranger and naked and, and in prison and all those things that are listed there, that's the point of loyalty. It's more than just the good intentions that we sometimes have in our life. We think as well again from the book of Hebrews, this time Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 uh, through 33, we know Hebrews 10, 25, of course, and I know from just the short time we've been at this congregation, we have made sure to include verse 24, which is, of course of is just as much important to this passage. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. We have to think about this idea of encouraging each other and that the loyalty takes more than that. In the same way that when we say you need to be here at services, that's just not to check the box. That's just not to fill your seat in the pew. It's that we can encourage one another. We are loyal not only to those here at Saudi, of course, but to God and to our reasonable service, which would be being together here in this instance, encouraging one another, exhorting one another. Is that what we are trying to do? Think about Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. The encouragement that we provide when we are loyal. And when we show that with our actions. Uh, we think about 1 Corinthians chapter 13 a lot. But, but chapter 12 leads so beautifully up into it as we think about the body. And we think about the words there, Paul. If one suffers, well everyone else points and laughs. No, if one suffers, all suffer. 
Because we are all loyal to the cause of Christ. We're loyal to the effort that is put forth by these people who are gathered here. As we've already said, we need each other. And we have to be loyal. And even as well from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 3. The Hebrew writer says, remember them that are in bond. So here, here we're talking about in prison as bound with them. And them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. That's the King James, I believe, but the New King James says, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. And of course, we we should do a good work by remembering those in prison, right? Especially those that are maybe uh, unjustly, you know, incarcerated. I mean, obviously we can encourage those people, but what about Christian prisoners? We think about Paul and others who would be prisoned for preaching Christ. Now, certainly we don't find that much today. I know we don't find that same situation as we would have during the first century there. But as we think about this, what the Hebrew writer is saying here, we should feel as if we are locked up with them. Certainly, when again, when it comes to this idea of a Christian prisoner or someone who is in prison for preaching Christ Jesus, we need to have that type of loyalty, suffering when others suffer. Not because it's fun or exciting, but that's because loyalty is really about and sharing with one another. I would submit to you tonight again from Onesiphorus, we can and we need to commit or cultivate and commit to loyalty in our life. It's something I think that we don't really consider day in and day out, the idea of loyalty. But we show it by our actions. We think about the words in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a three-fourth cord is not quickly broken. When we think about the encouragement, and this is again is somewhat in conjunction with our lesson last Sunday morning for those of you who were here at that time, but when we think about the encouragement that we have when we are loyal to each other and loyal together, it can bring about this harmony and joy and peace in the body, the kind that God would desire for us to have. Perhaps you've heard of the old illustration of the sequoia trees, many of them out in California, the redwood trees out there. Their roots are not actually very deep, so they say, but they're actually more intertwined as they all grow together there. You see, it's, again, it's, it's not that each one of us has to be the deepest, strongest Christian individually, each within a, of ourselves, but we encourage each other. By being together, by all the different things that we do, not only here at this congregation, but as a group of Christians in this area. And we're thankful for that. And we're thankful for the loyalty that we can share. Loyalty. I submit to you we need it in the community. And of course we really want it in our government officials. That's what we pray for. We pray for them to, to turn to God. But what about in our schools? What about in our stores? Our grocery store? The people that we come in contact every day come in contact with every day do we have loyalty to those folks or do we show the loyalty and specifically the loyalty of God Uh, we could go on and on about the loyalty in the family not only from our spouses but from parents to kids from from an extended type of family situation with grandparents and others who who need love and share love with each other we need loyalty in our families and certainly we need it in the church you know it's not just the job of the elders it's not just the job of the deacons It's not even just the job of the preacher, but it's the job of all of us to show this loyalty together. 
I say sometimes that I feel like I preach to the choir here, as the saying goes. This congregation does a great job, as we have already seen in our own family, with doing things together, working together, and trying to be a light in the community. But even tonight, maybe we can learn from this example. Someone who, again, maybe, maybe whose name you've never even heard before. Maybe you recall it from reading it before in 2 Timothy. But thinking about what Paul has to say about Onesiphorus and his loyalty. Because there is encouragement there. And as we go forth this evening and into our week, may we do our best. Because we're all a part of a community. We're all a part of a family and certainly of a church body here. And the possibility exists that we can do better with our loyalty. And certainly first and foremost when it comes to our loyalty that we show to God. Tonight as we conclude our lesson, we extend the Lord's invitation. The simple plan of salvation that you can see here on the screen with all the many different verses. And, and sometimes we rush through this and we have to be careful because there may be someone here tonight that is considering obeying the gospel plan of salvation. It's a lot to think about in just a few short moments at the end of the lesson. But if you would like to know more, even this evening, we would sit and study with you tonight or in the coming days because it is that important. No one has to leave wondering what would happen if the Lord were to return this night or if your life were to end. You can be added to the church. When you are baptized, the blood of Christ washes away your sins. The Lord adds you to his church. And you can know that great and wonderful feeling of church, of community, of loyalty. But maybe you're here and you've done that and you've wandered away. We're thankful to God for his second law of pardon that we can repent of our sins and pray for forgiveness. And he is faithful to do just that, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. I say we, we rush through it sometimes, but we sing the song of encouragement to try to get you with its words to consider your relationship with God, to consider where your loyalty lies and how you're showing that not only in the past, not only this evening, but in the coming week. And if you need to become a Christian, if you need to come back to him, if you need the prayers of this congregation, we'll encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.